Good subject to sing about, amen? The return of the Lord. Take your Bibles, if you will, look in the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter number 2. We'll continue our study there. Brother Guy uh, preached kind of an unusual series of messages from the book of Psalms. If you weren't able to attend the services, you can go online and uh, watch them, or you can go to the podcast and pick them up that way, however you would be inclined to do. Sister Nancy Purdy asked that we remember her in prayer. Uh, Karen Marbury and Kathy Lucius's mother, Sharon, uh, Belote is in the hospital. She's in ICU having some breathing issues and different things. Maybe a brain bleed. We're not positive. And uh, so that's Nancy's sister. And then Nancy's got eye surgery this week. And then also the situation with her brother-in-law passing away. So she just asked that we remember her in prayer today. So I wanted to pass that on to you. The book of First John, we've been going through section by section, uh, trying to bring some expository messages, explaining the text to you and making some application. We find out in chapter number one that if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And lest we think that we have a license to sin, in chapter two he said, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So our goal is to not sin, but when we do, we have a, a high priest, we have an a, a advocate. Uh, the propitiation for our sins, the payment for our sins has been paid by Jesus Christ. Then we waded through that section about loving the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the fashion of this world's passing away. Just stop and think about it. Y'all remember, let's see, well, I I'm, I'm graduated high school in 1971. That'll give you some kind of idea. And back in those days, wore bell-bottom pants. Y'all remember those? How many of y'all remember those bell-bottoms? Oh, yeah. How many of y'all remember leisure suits? Yeah. The fashion is passing away. Whatever you're wearing today, a few years from now, you won't be. And uh, now they got these britches, got more holes in them than they got britches. Ain't no way I'd pay that much money for half a pair of pants. But it's just a fashion. It's a fashion. And those things pass away. But what the Bible means when it talks about the fashion of the world, the spiritual direction of the world is wrong. It's anti-Christian. You're seeing more and more now in the mainstream media about people saying churches are struggling, things are going down, this is happening, that's happening. I got good news for you. The church is not going down, it's going up. And the church of the living God cannot be conquered by this world. Jesus said so in Matthew chapter 16. He said, uh, My, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Well, gates don't move. They're steadfast. So the gates of hell, it means that we're attacking them. We're assaulting them. And what we're trying to do is win sinners to Christ, uh, to a saving knowledge of the Lord one at a time. And in so doing, we'll alter society in some measure. But whether society gets better or worse, 
our responsibility remains the same. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and invite people to come to trust Him as their personal Lord and Savior. Well, if you would, take a look at uh, 1 John chapter number 2. We'll pick up with verse 25. And the Bible says, And this is the promise that He hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you uh, concerning them that seduce you. Isn't it amazing there's always somebody out there trying to mess up the Word of God, trying to change it and alter it and water it down? Listen, the, the gospel message that we have to preach has not altered in 2,000 years. You're a sinner. Because you're a sinner, you're condemned. Because you're condemned, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. His Son came into this world, died, lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death, came out of the grave bodily, and because He lives, as we sang a while ago, we can live also. So we place our faith and our trust in Him. And then along come these seducers who are saying, well, He's not really God. He didn't really rise from the dead. He was unconscious and all kinds of silly nonsense they come up with. And they've been coming up with isms and schisms and spasms for 2,000 years trying to alter the truth. So he said, I've written these things unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing, uh, the anointing that we have is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. God's people live different. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Do Christians commit sin? Absolutely they do. Sometimes absolutely horrible sin in, in, in the eyes of the world or in the eyes of other people. But the fact of the matter is that our general direction of life is upward and onward. We want to live, and when we sin, we want to confess our sin, ask God to forgive us and get that guilt off of us so we can fellowship with Him again. Now that launches into chapter number 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Let's pray. My Father, I'm thankful for your goodness. I am mindful, Father, of the great task that lies before me. Father, these folk have come today and have dedicated a period of time, hour and 15 minutes here in the worship services. When you multiply that times the number of people here, the, the task to make sure that the message is worth the, the sacrifice of time weighs upon my soul. Give, I pray, grace, Lord, that I might expound the Word of God. Help me to understand, Father, how to explain it the, in the best means possible. 
And Father, I pray the Holy Spirit of God might work in the hearts of those who are seated here today. In Christ's name I pray, amen. We know that God is love. Chapter 4 in 1 John, verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. There are no words that can properly describe and no reference by which we can measure His love other than John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Just imagine if the Bible said, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that really nice people could call. Or that people who have uh, a future could call. That would limit things down and, and many of us would be left out. If it had to be based upon wisdom and knowledge, think about how many of us would be left out on that basis. But the Bible says, whosoever... I love that word, don't you? That's, that's where I got in. John says here in chapter 3, Behold what manner of love. Uh, the terminology there, that word what manner, is like from what country <laughs> did this come? It didn't come from here on earth, that's for sure. Uh, it, it has the idea of what sort or what quality of faith, or I mean, excuse me, of love it would be. And so the love of God is beyond, as Sister Dorothy sang a while ago, it's beyond the description of men, that's for sure. So behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. We also know and are taught in His Word that God is essentially and absolutely and beyond any controversy, holy. That's why God's love doesn't leave us the way it found us. I don't know where you were when God found you. I, I remember very well where I was. 21 years old, married, involved in the things of the world, eyeball deep in it, you know, doing everything that people did in those days and uh, thinking I was having a big time. And then along came the Holy Ghost in the Bible and put me under conviction, began to draw me to, to a saving knowledge of the Lord. And I got converted. I trusted Christ at, when I was 21 years old. Nobody's fault but mine that I was that old. I'd heard the gospel many, many times before that, but I just had never believed the Lord savingly. I believe there was a God. I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again. I just wasn't trusting Him. It was just a kind of a, a knowledge I had like 2 plus 2 equals 4 or that Washington, D.C. is the capital of the United States. It was just in kind of that level of, of knowledge and, and agreement. This section of Scripture gives us great encouragement and comfort. What manner of love, from where did it come from, that God would love us? Well, back in chapter 2, verses 25 and 26, he said, this is the promise that God's promised us, eternal life. And he said, I've tried to warn you about seducers. Eternal life. Denying or contradicting this truth is serious. And yet some people come along, that's exactly what they want to do. They want to change it. Look over in 1 John chapter 5. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you're going to get it, 
but a present possession that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You can know for sure that you're saved. You can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. That's what the Bible said. You have, not going to get, you have it now, eternal life. Now, am I enjoying everything that God wants me to have in my life and in my future? No. Because I live in this sin-cursed body, i got to go to the dentist this week. Hey, listen, if you know me, the, I'd rather have back surgery than go to the dentist. I actually told the dentist that. I said, I had rather have another back surgery than be here. And she said, really? I said, yes, ma'am. You just don't know how bad this bothers me. <laughs> so I, I, I don't have my perfected body yet. <laughs> Hallelujah. We'll get to heaven. I'll have all 32 teeth. Won't have to worry about whitening them or getting root canals or crowns or caps or bridges or any of that other stuff or screws they run up in there and screw a tooth onto it. Hallelujah. Heaven will be without all those things. Amen. When you leave out here, you leave your dentures behind. So when we say we have eternal life, it does not mean that I'm experiencing the fullness of that just yet. But it's still a present position. If my body ceases to function, if my heart stops and my mind no longer tells my body to function and my body drops dead, my soul and my spirit will be in heaven before my body hits the ground. Immediately in the presence of God. That's what it means to have eternal life. Well, now this harmonizes, this idea of having eternal life harmonizes with some other scripture. John chapter number 10, I'll just read these to you because I'm going to fly through some of them. 1 John 5, verse 10 and uh, 11 and 12, He that believeth on the Son of God hath a witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believed not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son, of, hath, the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So it's serious when people start messing with the doctrine of eternal life. I just read it to you out of the Bible. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. The book of Ephesians tells us that. In whom you also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. We have eternal life. Paul the Apostle wrote extensively on the doctrine of eternal life. In the book of Romans, and you ought to jot this down and go back and read it later on, the book of Romans chapter number 8, there's some great verses there about the fact that, that we are saved and have an a everlasting salvation. Listen to what the Bible says. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Skipping down to verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? We can stand and dare anyone or any entity because it's here in the Word of God. And that's what Paul is doing. He's challenging. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword... I don't want any of those things in my life, but if they come, they won't unchristianize me. They won't take eternal life from me. As it is written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Now that's not happening in our country, but go to northern Africa. Go to the Middle East and you'll see it happen. 
North Korea, it's happening. China, it's happening. So uh, we're blessed here in America, believe you me. Nay, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. There's that love again. For I am persuaded, Paul said, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul said, name it. Whether it's an angel or a spiritual being, whatever it might be, time frame, difficulties, problems, heights, depths, whatever it may be, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the promise of God. It's not my promise. It's my promise in the sense that I've appropriated it. But it doesn't belong to me. I, I have it because God gave it to me. He gave it to you. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're going to heaven. Not enough devils in hell or out of hell to keep you from going. Gardner Spring wrote this in his book, The Attraction of the Cross. Let me read it to you. I've read it before, but it's so good I like to read it again. No minister of the gospel ever rehearsed the narrative without a listening auditory. No mother ever sang it over the pillow of her babe without tenderness. No child ever read it without a throbbing heart. No loving man ever perused it with indifference. No dying man ever listened to it without uh, emotion. The cross will be remembered when everything else is forgotten. It has intrinsic power and God himself has invested it with attractions peculiarly its own. Oh, the promise of God. Eternal life. Our, our sins have been settled. Our sins have been paid for. They're on that cross. Jesus Christ paid my debt. I don't, you know, we sing about it all the time, but do we understand it? Have we laid hold of it? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Isaiah chapter 1, though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. They'll be red like crimson, they should be white as, as wool. And, and what are we talking about? The fact that Christ can wash our sins away. Don't we sing that song, what can wash my sins away? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14, the Bible says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. My sins are gone. These seducers deny the promise of God and substitute the doctrines of men. They deny eternal life, teaching falling from grace or apostasy of the believer, and it contradicts the abiding of the anointing. If the anointing is in you, that's the presence and person of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to convince me that God can be driven out by the devil. In the book of Acts, chapter number 5, there are two people, Ananias and Sapphira. Y'all remember them? Sure. Ananias and Sapphira, were, they saw that Barnabas was bragged on, loved on, magnified because he had he, uh, sold some land and turned the money in. And they, that's the way they looked at how people reacted. They, people were just happy that Barnabas was doing the will of God, but they looked at it with envy. And so they went and sold a piece of land they had. And they said, you know what? We got a lot of money for this. Let's keep some of it. And that's fine. But when they went in to give it, they said, we sold a piece of land and this is all 
we got. And Peter said to Ananias, you've lied not to men but to God. That quick Ananias dropped dead. Three hours later, his wife comes in and Peter said, did you sell the land for X amount of dollars? Or X amount of shekels it would have been back then. And she said, yes, we did. And he said, the, the feet of them that wound up your husband and buried him will carry you out. And she dropped dead. There's a limit as to how far God will let a Christian go. There's a sin unto death, the Bible talks about in the book of James and in the book of 1 John. There's a limit as to how far God will let a Christian go. These seducers, they deny eternal life and they demand that you hear them. Can I give you just three things quickly about false teachers? Beware any preacher who proclaims new truth. You've never heard this before. Here's something brand new. I just got it. No, you didn't. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us plainly there's nothing new under the sun. So be careful of preachers that are always coming up, this is new, this is new, this is new. Secondly, be careful of preachers who put themselves forward as the final authority on truth. I'll often tell you that I'm giving you a weemsism. It's something that I think works and fits in the Bible, but I can't be dogmatic about it. But this book is truth. Whatever it says, we believe. We may not understand it all, but we believe it and we receive it and we accept it, you see. So false teachers put themselves forward as the final authority on truth. And then they preach a gospel that requires you to accept them as necessary to, their, to your spiritual life. In other words, you can't really be spiritual unless you follow them and their teaching. Just when you see somebody like that, just clip the cord and move on another direction. You've been listening to a false teacher. Well, we are to anchor in him back in the book of 1 John chapter 2. So we have the promise of eternal life. We have the warning that there's going to be false teachers coming along the way. But we have that indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Verse 28 and 29 we're to anchor ourselves in Him. Now, little children, abide in Him. The word abide means to remain, to just set, to, to be in place. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have resources. As Christians, we're not left on our own. In the book of John, chapter number 14, when Jesus said, It's expedient for you that I go away. And He said, If I don't go away, the, the Comforter won't come. But He will come, and He'll teach you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He'll teach Bring to your mind all the truths about me. You read that in chapters 14, 15, and 16 in the Gospel of John. So we have the indwelling of the Spirit. He is a resource. He's God's resource. The Spirit who has been caused to take up His permanent residence in us is what the Bible's teaching. John chapter 14. I mentioned that just a moment ago. Let me read a couple of verses over there to you. John chapter number 14. Verse 16 through 18. And the Bible says this, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another. And that word another means another of the same kind. will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, nor knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. The word comfortless, many, many preachers have told you this. You've probably read it. The word comfortless means like an orphan. 
I won't leave you without resource. I won't leave you without someone to nurture you. I won't leave you without someone to watch over you. And that one who's watching over us is the anointing that we have, the unction that we have. It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. We talk about the engrafted word. We're to receive the engrafted word with meekness, according to James chapter number 1. And in so doing, we're saved by receiving that truth. Uh, Psalm 119. Longest chapter in all the Word of God is Psalm 119. It's 176 verses, if I remember correctly. 22 sections of 8 verses each. In verse 11, the Bible says this, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Dave Conyers, probably none of y'all know him, but we will remember him, Dave and Carla Conyers. We went and visited them when we were looking for a minister of music. And uh, he had a post up, and he talked about reading the Bible. He said, reading the Bible once a week, you'll notice no difference in your life. Reading the Bible twice a week, probably still not going to notice any change. Reading three times a week, and they, they begin to work on some percentages of things changing in your life. But reading the Bible six times a week reduces pornography consumption 61%. You know what that tells me? That a lot of us are watching it. I'm not saying you, I don't, I don't know what you watch. But I'm saying a lot of American Christians evidently are involved with that. But it talked about how it does away with a spirit of depression. Now I know there's clinical depression that needs other type of treatment. But a lot of folks just get depressed because of the, all the junk that's going on in life and how chaotic our world seems to be. And we're sending our kids, hopefully, to schools where they'll teach them reading, writing, and arithmetic. But somehow or another, some of them are coming out thinking they're cats and dogs and something else. Happening all over our country. Happening all over the world, not just here in the United States. And, I, and listen, if I listen to that all the time, I'd get depressed. I think it was D. James Kennedy said, the problem with America is three hours of Rush Limbaugh and 30 minutes of Jesus. And what he meant was we're getting all out of balance, letting politics become more important than they are. Listen, God is not in heaven wringing his hands. He's not nervous. He's not upset. He's not worried about who wins the next election. You, listen, he, we can't vote God in nor out, up nor down. He just is. We have resources in the indwelling of the Spirit. We have the engrafted Word. And then we have the local church that God has given to us. He purchased the church with His own blood, Ephesians 5.25. He loves the church, Acts chapter number 8. We read that there. And then His body, the church. We are the body of Christ, the local assembly. And we read that in the book of Ephesians chapter number 1. We belong to Him. We're we're part and parcel of who He is. We are, we're not just Christians down here on earth with this little pile of, of people that are just marching around and call themselves Christians. We actually belong to God. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Not the friends of God, not the neighbors of God, but we're the sons of God if we're saved. So we're to anchor in Him. We have resources, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and then we have the local church that God has given you. Our confidence is that 
he shall appear. In Acts chapter number 1, Jesus is there. There's about 500 men there, what the Bible tells us. And he has been speaking to them, and all of a sudden he begins to rise. And they watch as he starts going up, and the, the clouds received him out of their sight. And two angels there said, You men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing? This same Jesus is going to return. You watched him go, he's coming back. The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump for the trump shall sound, the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible. Our confidence is he's going to appear. Our confidence is we don't have to be ashamed. You ever told anybody you were a Christian and you got turned on, they said negative things about Christianity? Or maybe you were in a setting where people were talking bad about Christ and you felt intimidated and you didn't speak up. I don't want you to be ashamed. Listen, what we believe has good factual underpinnings and the parts that don't are still told us in this book and we believe them whether we can find a foundation or not. You look at this world. Evolution tells us it's so many billions of years old. I don't have a text that says the world and the universe is six to eight or maybe 10,000 years old. I don't have a text that says that. But I have a text that says in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. I have a text where it says God took a rib by the side of the man and built a woman. And so the, she, he is called Ish, man. And that word Ish means man is a lover. Man is a husband. She's Ish-ah. She's taken out of man. And God designed one man, one woman to be married. Not two men. Not three men. Not polyamory. Not homosexuality of any sort or any other sexual deviancy of any kind. God's order has always been one man, one woman, and that's the way it's going to be. We don't have to be ashamed of what we believe. We may take some heat for it, but if we do, we just will. But the word confidence here that, that we read about in verse 28, we may have confidence. It means free and fearless. Like a child runs to his parents. You know, when dad comes home from work and the kids are in the back of the house and they hear daddy's voice and you hear him come thundering down the hall, daddy, 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 daddy. And they run down that hall and grab you and hug on to you. That's the attitude we're supposed to have about our God. Free and fearless. Reverence, obviously. We're never going to be on His plane, but we are His child. We can approach Him freely and abide. We can remain in Him. Our assurance of being His. His righteousness is imputed to us. I am not going to heaven because of who I am or what I do. I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross. How He paid my sin debt. This is not just in theory. It's a fact. It's in practicality. The direction of our life is upward. The fruit we bear gives evidence of our birth and our connection with Him. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Time's running away, but let me give you just a few things quickly. I want you to ponder a couple of things. Number one, the blessing bestowed. 
Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. What a blessing it is. I, I feel blessed to have had the parents I had. My daddy was just a hard-working man. He didn't have any degrees in, in higher education. But my daddy could take a set of blueprints and look at them and tell an engineer, this won't work and that won't work. He spent his lifetime doing it. He knew how to build cotton gins. He built the largest cotton gin in the world more than once. <laughs> he'd build one, then someone else would build one, then he'd build another one. He'd get hired to do that. My, that was my dad's forte. And up until the time my daddy was 85 years old, he was still mowing grass. And we just finally nudged him off the lawnmower. He wasn't quite as concerned about what he hit with a lawnmower as we wanted him to be. I remember the time Ashley was watching him mow the grass and there were some men working and she came running by. Run for your life, Papa Ted's on the lawnmower. <laughs> but I'm blessed to be my dad's son. He's with the Lord. Oh, what a blessing I am to be God's son. All oh, the blessing bestowed upon us. Secondly, the manner in which it was given... When I met my wife the first time, she was an angry, red-headed little girl, weren't you, Wage? Mad at the world. There's a reason. But I went home and told my mom, I said, Mom, I met the girl today I'm going to marry. And so I just, I called her up one, I don't know how I got her phone number. I called her up and I said, you don't know me, but I want to go out with you. And she said... You might be ugly. I don't know if I want to go out with you or not. <laughs> Honest truth. I said, I'll drive by in the car and stick my head out and wave at you. And, and if I look okay, then we'll go out. Well, aren't teenagers brilliant? That was the method that I bestowed my love upon my wife. God bestowed it on us when we weren't looking. When we weren't thinking about Him at all, He loved us. And He loved us so much He came looking for us because we would never have come looking for Him. Then the last thought I want to leave with you today is the limitless capacity of our God to love. When Bethany was having... Uh, getting ready to have Zachary. Ashley was upset. Up to that time, she'd been the only child. And I was sitting in a, we had a swing on the front porch. Boy, we put some miles on that thing, let me tell you. Ouija'd take her out there and swing, I'd swing with her. But anyway, we were sitting in the swing. And she said, I am worried that my mother won't love me like she did. You know, there's, there's another one, another baby coming. And I thought, how am I going to say this so that a little child will get a grip on it? And I said, this, oh, honey, you don't have to worry about her loving you any less. Every baby comes with their own supply of love. And so she doesn't have to take any of your love to love the new baby. And that satisfied her. Our God has so much love that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There is a limitless capacity of our God to love us. 
You know, since we've been saved, we hadn't always done right, have we? He still loves you. He still loves you. He said, but I've said bad words and done bad things, preacher. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure he still loves you. He loves you enough that if you'll come to him, he'll make you different. And you'll be so happy that he made you different that you'll fall deep in love with him. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Are you a son of God today? Do you know him? If not, could I invite you today, this moment, to determine to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? 